Thank you, Matt, and the worship team. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, what a great song. We thank you so much for your love. Father, you're the one who planned salvation before the world began. Jesus, you're the one dying on the cross to pay the ugly penalty of sin. Holy Spirit, you're the one that applied it to our lives. You're the one that came to us took the blinders off our eyes and instead of hating you we loved you and we confessed our sins and we are living an abundant life and we have a promise of being with you forever so sings our soul praise to you oh God and now as we open your precious living active powerful word do a work in our lives Lord I don't know all the hearts in this room but I know that there may be hearts that need conviction and comfort, encouragement. Do that as I open up your word this morning. Speak through me, for it's in Christ's name. Amen. I got a prop. I have a prop. I just, I know I'm going to forget to use this. So it's up here. Uh, it's great to be up here again. I was just here two weeks ago. It's funny. Two weeks ago, I had five points, and I only covered one, leaving me with four today. Who does that, right? Who does that? He's hiding behind. I'm glad you're laughing down there, because I was going to say, thou art the man over there. Pastor Phil does it, and I've learned from the best. Yeah, this week... I set my outline in, and then I was in my UPS truck, and Laura sent it back to me, and I just looked at it and said, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? But we are going to have such a great time in the Word this morning, Inside the Heart of the Shepherd, Part 2. Uh, you'll look at that little phrase under there, true shepherds will go to any length to protect their flock. True shepherds will go to any length to protect their flock. You know... There's a phrase in John 11 that I love. Do you remember when Jesus came to the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus? And he came to that tomb, and it says he began to weep. Now, it wasn't just a tearing up. That word is, was a deep grief, a bursting forth. And it wasn't because he missed his friend, because in a few moments he would see his friend when he called his name out of the grave. But it was because he saw what sin had done on the human condition. And it broke his heart. And so the Jews saw that and they said, how he loved him. Behold, how he loved him. And I think to myself, that's what I think of when I see Paul in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. I, I, I see the love and I, I think to myself, see how he loved them? How he hurt with them? How he cared for them? How he prayed constantly for them? How he fought so hard for them? And it was a fight. It was a fight. There was an enemy that wanted to destroy him, and, it want, and they wanted to stop him from ministering to a young group of believers. He knew the stakes were high. He knew the souls of men and women were at stake for all eternity. I found this quote from a writer who talked about Paul's love, and it says, never did he fight for personal achievement, personal gain, or personal comfort. 
It was for the love of the truth, the love of the Savior, the love of sinners, and the love of the saints that compelled him to engage in this spiritual war. You want to see a very unimpressive resume? Not mine, but Paul's. 2 Corinthians 6. If you're not a believer, this looks like a total waste of a life. Okay? Remember he talks about his beatings and his hardships and his sleepless nights and the hunger. And he, and he goes on. And, then he, and he, then he shows us something in this one phrase that lets us know why God used him so powerfully. He said, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. That's the shepherd's heart that I want you to see this morning. And last week we saw he constantly thanked God for their love for the word. This week is he aggressively fought for their spiritual safety. Remember we said a few weeks ago that a shepherd or a pastor or an elder, they're interchangeable. So when I say elder, shepherd, pastor, a shepherd's one who guides and loves and leads and warns and feeds. And he's one who protects in every situation. And that's what you're going to see Paul doing in this passage, protecting his flock. And listen, the Thessalonians, the Jews in Thessalonians, and the mob, they were brutal to Paul and his integrity. I don't know if you remember, but they were, they were uh, maligning his integrity. And they were saying, hey, if he loves you, why did he leave so quickly? And maybe... He just took your money, and you probably won't see him again. And that's why Paul spends so much time in chapter 2, especially at the beginning, defending his integrity, saying, I wasn't taking their money. I was making tents on the side so I didn't have to. And I was getting beat up in every town because I was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God is my witness in verse 10 of Chapter 2, he says, how holy, righteous, and blameless our conduct was before you. And then he gives the real reason why he left so abruptly. Look at verse 17 and 18. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. You see, this was a violent separation. You remember when Paul and Silas come into Thessalonica, they were bruised and beating. They were, they were beaten so terribly in Philippi. I don't think we realize it. You see some pictures and they just have little scratches. I think they maybe look like they were just done with a UFC fight and, and they lost. They were beaten up horribly and now they limp into Thessalonica and they make a huge impact. I mean, the Jews in the synagogue are believing, and the Gentiles are turning from their idols, and they're turning to the living God. Remember chapter 1? But the Jews formed a mob, and they turned most of the city against them. And the crowd couldn't find Paul, so they dragged a man named Jason, who must have been a newer Christian, must have been housing the meetings, must have been housing Paul, and they were going to kill him. And it says, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. They must have taken some kind of bail and told Jason, if Paul ever shows his face here again, 
We'll either kill you, your family, or your business, or whatever. We don't really know what the... But the brothers in Thessalonica knew that if they not, did not rush these missionaries out of town, the mob would have killed them. And so verse 10 says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And that was it. Three weeks, three Sabbaths, and he's done. Now granted, three weeks of Paul's teaching <laughs> were probably incredible. But I can't imagine the frustration. I know on Monday morning, and I'm sure Pastor Phil would agree with this, you're so frustrated because you didn't get to cover this, 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 and you just go through. Can you imagine Paul as he's getting just abruptly torn from the city? And he was so frustrated because I didn't get a chance to ground them here or here. I wanted to teach them this and this and this. And now he's away, and those are his sheep. He says he was torn away from them. Look at that word torn away. That word means to literally be orphaned. Some of your Bibles might say orphaned. Paul said, I felt like a, a, a parent having his child just ripped from my arms. It was so painful and emotional and heartbreaking. I, I don't think we understand how much they were attached. He said, for a short time in person, not in heart. Paul is saying, it's not, not going to be long. And they can't separate us. We're physically separated, but my heart is knitted to your heart right now. And he says, the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. He says, all I keep thinking about Thessalonians is getting back to you. Getting back to you. But Paul gives them the reason right now that he was separated so abruptly. This was a satanic opposition. Look at verse 18. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Some of your Bibles in the NIV say Satan blocked our way. It's a military term. It means to destroy a road in order to slow the progress of an invading army. It's like when you watch those army movies and somebody blows up a bridge so the enemy can't get over. Paul says Satan just kept blowing up bridges and I kept trying to get back. And we're not really sure. We're not sure what the hindrance was for Paul. Some think it could be his illness, his thorn in the flesh was keeping him back. Some think he couldn't get a ship. Some think they were threatening the life of Jason, who I told you about in Acts 17. Whatever it was, Paul kept trying to open the door and Satan kept closing the door. And I, I started thinking about this week. Can you imagine how intensely Satan wanted to destroy Paul. All hands on deck, demons, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. We got to get rid of this guy. Every town he goes to, he's preaching the gospel. And people's hearts are turning to Christ. And they're piling up their books and they're burning them and they're throwing away their idols and they're trusting the living and true God and they're turning from darkness to light got to get rid of this guy he's such a threat to the darkness and then I started to think this because listen I'm in a UPS truck 10 hours a day so I just have myself to converse with um, and I, I enjoy my, my own conversation um, but I started to think to myself when we get to heaven 
and we're walking with angels, and they were the ones who ministered to us, and I'm going to be walking. And I started to think of this. What if I said, hey, thank you all the times that you helped me to uh, fight Satan? Can you imagine if he said, wow, you never really crossed paths with Satan. I'm like, well, okay. But thank you for helping me with well, what level of principalities did bother me? Can you imagine if the angel said, you know, you probably, uh, you really weren't much of a threat to the darkness. That would break my heart. I want to be a threat to the darkness. And so do you. Well, Paul was. This is why Satan hated Paul so much. Look at 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or some of your bibles might say for the pulling down of strongholds we are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of god and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of christ i'm telling you something right now that's why satan hated paul because when he came in he preached the truth and when he preached the truth, it pulled down strongholds. It pulled down the lies. It pulled down, it pulled down the false philosophies and the false wisdom of men. That's why, I'll tell you what, that's what I think about when I get ready to get up. That's what gets me out of that chair up here. Amen. Not knowing that I'm going to be in front of a lot of people. That doesn't get me up. Knowing that I am going to open up the word of God and there are going to be strongholds pulled down this morning. There's going to be truth spoken to your hearts and you're going to understand and you're going to believe and some will be saved and some will uh, further their commitment with the Lord. You see, it's, it's the pulling down of the strongholds that gets me excited about the word of God. I can't do that in my own strength. You say, how can I tell if God's redirecting me or Satan is hindering me? That's a good question. Because in Acts 16, Pastor Phil talked a few weeks ago on how God came to Paul in a dream and said, don't go north to Bithynia, but go west into Macedonia. Paul, God told him that in a dream. So, if God comes to you in a dream and tells you not to go to Bithynia, then I guess you have your answer there. But all other situations, you'll have to pray and be discerning about it. And it's not hard. Listen, Satan and his demons will always oppose those who are trying to spread the gospel. And they will also oppose those who want to strengthen the lives of believers. In the middle of his conflict, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, the Reformation, he felt Satan's influence so heavy when he was in the castle at Wittenberg that he threw an ink blot, he, an ink blot and, it, and it splashed against the wall. He felt the intensity of Satan so strong and he wrote this, for still our ancient foe to seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And Paul realized he's in a fight with the enemy of our very souls. And that's why I wrote aggressively fighting. Paul was aggressively fighting. I'm not going to be able to cover a lot of the things with the devil, but I tell you, a really good series. I was looking on our archives at our website. Pastor Phil did a 
two, two-week series I thought was very biblical and very practical called The Battle is Real. It was only about two months ago. Re-listen to that one. There's so many practical things in there. But let me encourage you with this. The devil can only do what God allows him to do. You realize that, right? They're not equals. He's a created being. And he's not all-knowing. Although he's smart, he doesn't know everything. And he's not all-powerful. He's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. And he can't be everywhere at the same time. Right? So he's not omnipresent. And so you must remember you're a child of God if you know Christ this morning. And you have the Spirit of God in your life. And because of that, 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, if you know Christ this morning, and God's purpose will always prevail no matter what the devil does to stop or to hinder them. God's will can't be thwarted. Nothing catches God off guard. He has never resorted to plan B, C, D, or anything that's not his perfect will. Satan's never thrown God a curveball. No scheme of the enemy can ever utterly destroy the child of God. He'll hinder us. He can throw roadblocks in. I have a note here. Well, then how do I defeat him in my life? You know, there's a... <laughs> went to a men's conference once, and the speaker said, I want everybody to yell at the same time, I declare war on you, Satan. And I'm never good at... I'm not good at being in a group and yelling what you tell me to yell. Um, I've just never been good at that. So I was probably the least loud in that group and it wasn't that I um, I just knew something um, I could yell I declare war on you Satan all I want till I'm hoarse but if I'm not living a godly life and men if you're not striving to be a man of God and a man of the word and a man of faith and loving your wife and leading your family you can yell all you want it's really not going to help. And women, you seek God's face and you become a woman of God who knows the word and prays fervently and, and displays the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Those are the things that will concern Satan. It's not the shouting. It's the living. It's like the little boy that was watching a boxing match with his dad and the boxer did the sign of the cross and the little boy said does that help and the father said if he can punch it does and you know what that means that means it does help if you declare war on satan if you're gonna live for christ it's not the shouting it's the living you can shout but you have to live out the word of god be serious about it first peter 5 8 we always quote this okay be sober be vigilant your adversary or your enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? He wants to destroy me. He wants to discourage me. But the next verse we forget, resist him, firm in your faith, you see. And remember, Satan is still windless when he chooses to go against God. He is windless. 
So don't look at your life and say, all those hindrances. I could have done so much for God if I didn't have all those roadblocks that Satan threw in my way. You're forgetting Romans 8.28. Listen to this. And we know, even though we forget sometimes, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we either believe that or not, right? I mean, if you know Jesus Christ, then you love God. And if you love God, then that means you are called according to his purpose, you see? And if I don't believe that God has a purpose in my life, and if I don't believe that even if roadblocks come into my way and I trip and I get back up and by God's grace I keep going, nothing is going to destroy the purpose that God has for me in my life. Because it says he works all things together for good. Pastor Phil and I were talking before the sermon. He goes, it's amazing how everything Satan throws at us gets thrown back at him and he gets destroyed and God gets glorified and we grow. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. He can't compete with God. God always turns it around and gives himself glory. Job knew that. Job, if there's anyone that knew roadblocks, if there's anyone who knew affliction and tribulation, it was Job. And he said in Job 42.2, I know you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Another thing that shows Paul's heart is he found great hope in their future perfection. Verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown which we will glory in in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. His present joy was wrapped up in their future glory. People are sometimes the source of our irritation, right? (laughs) They're the source of our frustration. But Paul saw it a different way. He saw what they would eventually become when they stand before God and they're perfect, and that gave him great joy. He was totally confident that even though he couldn't get to them, and believe me, it would be five years. It would be five years till Paul sees these people again on his third missionary journey. So it would be a while, even though Paul says, I'm going to get to you, I'm going to get to you, I'm going to get to you. He didn't get to them right away. But he knew, and he was confident that God was working in their lives. He's the same one that wrote Philippians, right? He that has begun a good work in you will, what? Perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's the same one that wrote chapter 5, verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also do it. I said, Paul said, I, I, I know God's going to make you perfect, and that gives me great joy. I can even talk about the roadblocks, and then all of a sudden, my mind is shot forward to when you are standing before the throne of God, and you are perfect. His crown of righteousness or his crown of rejoicing would be their perfect Christ-likeness. He says, beloved, we now are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. You know, 
if you know Christ this morning, if you've come to the cross and you've confessed your sins and you've turned to him, you will be like Jesus Christ one day. You won't be Jesus Christ, but you will be like Jesus Christ. I have a a note here. If you could see now what you will be later, I don't think you could handle that. Yeah, like if God told you to pick this up and he said, okay, husbands, I want you to see what you will look like when you're perfectly Christ-like and you're going to be like, you're going to give it to your, I'll give it to Jan. Jan, that's what I'm going to look like. And I figured out what she would say. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, I have a feeling. Right? Is that not a good response? Paul knew. Paul knew without a doubt they would be spiritually safe one day. And it gave him great joy. It got him through everything. One day I won't have to worry about you, he says. One day I won't have to pray for you. One day I won't have to teach you. One day I won't have to watch out for false teachers and stay up late making tents and making sure the churches are okay. One day I won't have to worry about your spiritual growth. And you wonder why he was so excited in this passage. When's all this going to happen? He says, we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. When Jesus Christ comes back. We'll be gathered in the air. We'll be glorified, clothed in his righteousness. No more sin, no more tears, absolute full joy. Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. I have a feeling Pastor Phil will be at that great passage in 1 Thessalonians pretty soon. In 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, right? The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be what? caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and it says forever we shall be with the Lord comfort one another with those words are you comforted by that are you comforted by the fact that one day you'll be changed as a twinkling of an eye and you'll be perfect so was Paul so was Paul I have a note here and the faithful pastors who worked hard and prayed for the congregation and taught the word faithfully We'll get the wonderful privilege, and we don't really talk about this very much. They'll get the wonderful privilege of being right there with their flock, perfect themselves, Christ-like themselves, and rejoicing with them as, as somehow he gets a chance to present them as a flock who is Christ-like and mature. Look what Peter said, verse 5. Therefore, I urge you, elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and one who is also a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not with greed, but with eagerness, not yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock, and this is beautiful, Every elder in here should be encouraged. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I know we always talk about 
how the pastors are going to be responsible for how they lead, feed, warn, right? I know that, and that's true. Hebrews 13, 17 says that we watch over your souls as those who must give an account. But don't forget about the unfading crown of glory that will be given to faithful shepherds who faithfully and consistently and passionately tried to shepherd their flock. You say, what is the unfading crown of glory? I'm not really sure. It's unfading and it's a crown and it's going to be glorious. But I don't think we're going to be walking around with um, big crowns on our head. I think the crown is the fact that, that his flock is perfect and complete. But I'll be able to tell you fully what that is when we all get to heaven. I love this next one. He faithfully prepared them for affliction. He was such a great shepherd to do this. Look, he put his own life at risk. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it best to be left behind alone in Athens. You see, I don't think it was easy. Remember, Paul went from Philippi, beat up, Thessalonica, thrown out, Berea, thrown out, and then he went down to Athens. And he's got Timothy down there, he's got Silas, and he's like, listen, I think somebody needs to get back there, and I can't right now. I don't know what was hindering him, but he says, Timothy, you got to... So, I don't necessarily think it was easy for Paul to stay in Athens alone. I think that was a very hard time for him. As you read 1 Corinthians, he was, that was a very dark time. It was a very demonic place. But he, he thought it necessary to get somebody to help his little sheep. You remember that? I always give this practical definition of love. Almost every sermon I preach, if someone's going to take the hit... Let it be me. Paul said, if somebody's going to be left alone, let it be me. Timothy, get there. However you can get there, get there and minister to them. And so he sends Timothy to strengthen them. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith so that no one will be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For even when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it happened, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be for nothing. See, it was driving Paul crazy. And he says, I have to find out if they're being faithful, Timothy. And so he sends Timothy. What do you think Timothy taught them it said he taught them the word of God and he probably taught them that God is faithful and that God loves them intensely and that God's in control and that God would not leave them alone in this time of dark suffering I mean that's what I would want to hear if I were going through some tough times that God loves me intensely that God is in control that God will not leave me alone to walk in whatever I'm walking through He'll be right there. He might have even shared Psalm 46.1, right? God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I also think he reminded them of something that he said so many times when he was with them, and that was affliction is part of the Christian life. It's part of the Christian life. Paul said, we kept telling you that. 
because he did not want them to be, it says, disturbed by the affliction. He didn't want somebody to say, hey, we didn't sign up for this. Nobody told us we were going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be afflicted. Paul said, no, yeah, we did. There's a, you see that? That's a knockoff uh, Fitbit watch. A few months ago when I was ordering hand sanitizer and toilet paper and, you know, you're ordering everything during that, I saw six, a $90 knockoff Fitbit watch for $6. <laughs> I know. My wife couldn't believe it either. Um, <laughs> so I get it, and I still don't know how to turn it on. It's not on. Um, <laughs> and so... I just put it on today. I couldn't even find it. I'm looking through my debit card receipts a few months ago, and it said $90, a monthly charge, right? So I called my 800 number, and I said, who is this? You know, and she says, well, this is the company that you got your um, watch from. And, and I go, no, no, no. It was, a, it, was a, it was a $90 watch for $6. It was as clear as could be. She goes, you didn't, you didn't scroll down and look at the fine print. The fine print said you are put on a regular $90 a month, and we send you a, like an electronic device, like a $6 electronic device, and we charge you 90 And she said, you're actually in the gold plan, so congratulations. And so I said, no, I, I didn't know that. And so she, Jan was kind of in the other room, laughing a little bit, but concerned. And I finally said, no, take that charge off, or get me off that. And she did get me off, and she said, how about if I only charge you $45 for a $6 watch? And so she did, and I came in the living room, and kind of to break the tension, I said, I just got a $90 watch for $45. And so, what was my point? My point was, my point was, to, to, Paul wanted to remind Timothy, they did sign up for this. It wasn't in the fine print, right? I have a note here, and I, I think we're gonna put it on the screen. I wrote this, it says, if anyone preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, Without talking about trouble and tribulation, they're not preaching the true gospel. Amen. Prosperity preachers only talk about the material things that God can give you, and they leave affliction for the fine print. I put, shut them off. They are not God's under-shepherds. I was listening last week to one of those preachers who fills up a stadium and he kept saying, your miracle's right around the corner. That job you don't have is, I can see it clearly. That business that's failing, I can see it clearly. It's good. That, that daughter who is away from the Lord, she's going to come home. I can see it clearly. And Jan was listening to it in the other room, and she said, how does he know that? And what if it's not around the corner? And that's what Paul was worried about. He says, I don't want you to be disturbed and to think you promised us something and we didn't get it. So Paul said, I never promised you anything. Matter of fact, back then, it was probably a little easier to tell somebody, listen, if you come to Christ, you'll probably die. I mean, when Nero was sewing up Christians in skins and then feeding them to animals in a stadium and they were fighting the lions, they were crucifying the Christians and leaving them along the roads, Probably a little easier to tell a group meeting in your house, listen, if you come to Christ, there's a good chance you may have to seal your testimony in blood. True shepherds will go to any length 
to protect the flock, and that means preaching the gospel, and Paul did. And that's why it says in verse 6 of chapter 1, you receive the word, Thessalonians, and when you receive the word in affliction, you received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that was because Paul was a faithful shepherd. Well, finally, he was temporarily comforted by their victories. Verse 6, but now Timothy has come to us from you and given us the good news of your faith and love that you always think of us with affection and long to see us just as we also long to see you. So in all our distress and affliction, we were reassured about you, brothers and sisters, through your faith. From now on, we are alive again. Or some of your Bibles say, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. You say, why'd you say temporarily comforted by their victories? Because the fight never ends until your flock is perfect. And your flock won't be perfect until Jesus Christ comes back. Galatians 4.19, this has always amazed me that a man would write this. But remember, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. My children, who I am again undergoing birth pains until Christ is formed in you. You know, Paul could rejoice with them, but he couldn't relax. He could rejoice temporarily, and then he'd say, okay, now the load is still there. And he said, helping you to become like Jesus Christ is like the labor of birth until Christ is formed in you. And there's that passage in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul just gives a list of his sufferings. He says, countless beatings and I've stoned and shipwrecked and robbed and mistreated and betrayed, out in the cold, hungry. I say, what could be worse than that? I mean, all the pain that Paul went through. And then he says this. Here's something that was worse than that. Apart from those things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxious concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn with indignation? Paul says, I'm, I'm affected by every single thing that happens to my sheep. So he's never satisfied fully until he can turn his flock over to the great shepherd of their souls. And Paul says, that's all I care about, that you know Jesus Christ and that you would live a life that is pleasing to him. And I'll spend my whole life doing that. And you say, huh, you call that living? And Paul said, no. Verse eight, I call that really living if you remain steadfast in the Lord. You know, uh, earlier I said that Satan is still winless when he chooses to go against God. You say, hey, was he winless? Because it seems like he had a little bit of a win when he got Christ crucified on the cross. I mean, that, I had to think about that. Actually, the cross, think about this, 
was Satan's biggest defeat. Because he incited a crowd and he, he incited a man to betray him and he incited a crowd to crucify him. But all along, that was in God's plan. And Christ was on the cross paying the sin debt so we could be right with God. Satan's roadblock was really our redemption. So I speak as just one of the fellow elders in this church that love you very much and they would agree with me. That's our goal, that people would know Jesus Christ and they would live lives that would be pleasing to God and we'll do ever we, we'll do whatever it takes to see you perfect one day so we can rejoice with you. Let's all stand. There are always people up here and online. There are always people that can help you if you are online. And today, God's prompting your heart to maybe get some help or maybe you're struggling or maybe Satan's throwing some roadblocks in your life. You need prayer. You need counseling, you need instruction, or you need Jesus Christ. We are always here. I would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. So thank you so much. I hope you had a wonderful time in the Word. Let's have a time of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this group. Lord, I pray that if there are any here that don't know you, I pray that you'd prompt their heart and that they would seek out someone and that they would know what eternal life is like as they leave this place. Father, I pray that hearts would be encouraged. God, thank you for the privilege that you've given me to be an elder in this church. It is such a joy. It is such a responsibility. And I've been reminded of that this morning. Thank you for your grace that will give us all strength. For it's in Christ's name. Amen. You have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining our worship service today. Our prayer is that God is using the worship and the message to inspire you to love him, love people, and influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or would like somebody to pray with you, you can let us know by clicking the connection card link. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app where we post upcoming events and announcements, and you can share this week's message with a friend. You can also check out our website at fbcelkart.org to stay connected with us. God bless. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.